Well, props to him for even trying to play while he's sick as a dog. Because I can't even walk my butt from my bedroom to the kitchen to get a glass of water. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's real crazy time. Baby, Rick, the city's jumping now. Hey, Brandel up the middle. Hey! Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 11th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Chili Rip City, and I got my man Sage out here in Southern Oregon, wishing I was in Chili Rip City. You know, it's 36 degrees outside, but I felt a lot cooler inside the Staples Center tonight for the Trailblazers. Unfortunately, Portland drops another game to the Clippers, 102 to 87, shot just 38% from the field, and even colder, 22% from three, and Sage. When Damian Lillard went out at the beginning of the third quarter, it just it felt like there was just no rhythm at all to the game. And once Dame went out, Portland would also kind of went out the well. Well, props to him for even trying to play while he's sick as a dog. Because I can't even walk my butt from my bedroom to the kitchen to get a glass of water. So trying to play an entire NBA game while you're sick just doesn't sound fun at all. No, and to be perfectly honest, I am such a wuss when I'm sick. I've got like three blankies wrapped around me. I got my OJ, my 7-Up, probably sounding something like, Olga, can you please get me some some chicken noodle soup? I'm I'm sick. All dudes are wusses when they're sick. So to see Dame out there, you felt physically bad for him because it looked like he was giving 125% just to walk. Obviously, if it was the playoffs, you've got a little bit more adrenaline going. So I think we would have seen him probably play a little bit more. But it's a regular season game in late November, and you're not even playing in front of the home fans. So I do not blame Dame one bit for, you know, taking the second half off because, you know, from all accounts, he's still very sick in the locker room. And, you know, hopefully he can play tomorrow night against the Mavericks. He does have that Ironman streak going where he has not missed a game at all over the course of his uh, tenure as a trailblazer. So, you know, knock on wood, Rips. Again, everybody who's listening right now just did that because we want him to keep that streak going for as long as he can. Even when he was in the game, there was just really no rhythm. Did you pick up on that same thing, Sage? I thought they panicked a little when they realized, oh, our best player's sick. Maybe they tried to do too much. I think CJ tried to do too much. He wasn't he wasn't as calm as he usually is, and he did a lot of risky, boneheaded type of shots and passes. So I think they have to just realize our best player may be sick, but we can't overextend ourselves just because we're one man down. We have to play within ourselves. And you know, the Clippers did the same thing they do to Dame that they did to McCollum. They blitzed him with two defenders. Rivers was hounding him all night. They were sending Reddick or Stevenson and hardly even giving him a chance to get into the offense. I saw multiple times where we had shot clock violations. And you know, I'm not even asking for buckets right now. I just want to see them get set up and run a set um, to get a quality shot off. And that just wasn't happening. You know, McCollum, he really had to shoulder all of that scoring load once Lillard went down, and he just he wasn't able to rise up to the challenge because there's really no help around him. He was uh, got 12 points on the night, was only at 4 or 15 shooting, so very inefficient. But, you know, shout out to him for setting a career high, getting 10 assists, especially when most of them were without Lillard on the floor. So he did find ways to get his teammates involved. It just wasn't consistent, and when your best player is out, you have to play above and beyond your own talent because I can tell you right now, Sage, the team minus Damian Lillard cannot beat 95% of NBA teams. I'm sure that we could be the Sixers, though. I mean, they're obviously not trying to win a game. <laughs> That's one of the 5%, my friend. Who else? The Nets? See, the Nets scare me. I, I don't know why they're so bad. I mean, Brooke Lopez and Joe Johnson feel like they can have nights where they, they go off 25, 30 points a night. Jarrett Jack, is Jarrett Jack still there? Oh, yeah, he's the starting point guard. Man, he, I love Jarrett, but he gets moved around so often I have to, you know, double check where he's at. So they still have talent. I, I think they just, they don't have it. I don't know what it is, but the, the Nets don't have it. I think they've started off on a slow foot and it, they're just never going to be able to dig their way out. So maybe the Nets, possibly the Lakers, even though Dame is a big reason why we do beat the Lakers. The Lakers are awful. Probably the Pelicans too, you know, they're pretty trash. <laughs> you know, I had to throw that jab in there. We'll talk about Chris Paul later, I'm sure. No, let's talk. Speaking of Chris Paul, he, like Lillard, had to leave at the beginning of the third quarter, and I immediately thought, okay, we've got a chance to win this game now. 
it was tied up at the half. Paul was very quiet. Again, you know, 10 points on 11 shots, six assists, but four turnovers. It's a very un-Chris Paul-like line. And that's really the second straight time this regular season he has been a complete non-factor against the Blazers. So whatever they're doing or whatever he's not doing, you know, keep it up for future matchups. But when he went out, I really thought we had a chance. But the game was won and lost in the paint. And it was a tale of two quarters, Sage. I'm telling you, the Clippers, they... Portland scored the first basket of the game. They went on uh, a 19-2 run in the first quarter. That really set the tone. They out-rebounded us 17-9 in that first quarter, including six offensive boards. But then Portland, they found a way. They were only down 11. They fought back. They had a 15-0 run. They flipped the script on the Clippers and out-rebounded them 19-13 in the second quarter. And it was really led by Mo Harkless, a guy who I'm really like watching seeing blossom before our eyes. He was the highest plus minus of any trailblazer. He was a plus nine. And he had, you know, was, he was a leading scorer tonight. 15 points on a very efficient six of 10 shooting. He doesn't try to do too much. And I think if he just gets uh, enough playing time that we're going to see this kid is going to be the one who's going to keep getting better and better as we get to the, the spring. You can never dock him for the effort that he plays with. And that's something that if he plays with that effort for the entire year, he's going to get that second contract. And if he, he has to play with that effort, that enthusiasm. And honestly, he could be a nice little role player for the Blazers. For sure. He's definitely a guy like Leonard who, you know, they're betting on themselves. They really need a big year to get that, that big contract with the salary cap going up. Story of the night is really DeAndre Jordan. Um, he out-rebounded Portland by himself in the first quarter. We ha- He got plumly into early foul trouble, and whenever our starters get into early foul trouble, it always spells doom for the, for this Portland team. You know, we saw it happen with Aminu in Charlotte. Charlotte just got up to that huge lead, and we fought back and almost came came all the way back. But when you're a young, inexperienced team with Portland who lacks elite talent, you really can't afford to dig yourself into big holes time and time again over the course of an NBA season. It's just not going to work. Given all the troubles the Clippers have, they're still an extremely talented team, and spotting them that 15-point lead, just too tough of an ask for this team. But 18 points, 24 boards, and he set a blazer. What really bothers me, it's not the fact that Jordan set the record, it's how he did. You know, I I, I understand he missed, God, how did he miss 24? 22 free throws. He was 12 of 34. I mean, that's a ridiculously bad percentage. But we were not taking advantage of it. We were dragging out the game. It felt like it felt like we were being sore losers. Uh, I felt embarrassed as, as, as a fan of the team. To be honest, I just wanted the game to be over. There was no chance we were winning the game. You know, it's already, you know, it was already past 10. We needed the podcast. A lot of people got to go to bed, get to work in the morning. Sage, you know, we don't have time for this. Love like, it. I understand. I understand if we are converting on the offensive end. I am one of the biggest proponents for the hack, the hacker rule. I think it's a great strategy because if you can't make free throws, you shouldn't play. However, I think it's also a very, very bad look when you're just doing it out of spite. And that's what we were doing it. We had no chance of winning that game. We were not coming back. We were not even getting good looks on offense, yet we continued to foul this man. I think it was a really, just a really in poor taste. I did not like it, did not appreciate it, and I really had no enjoyment watching that. No, not at all. I mean, I honestly, I was tired at the third quarter, so the continuous hack of Jordan when we had no shot of winning really was just draining on me because we have to get this podcast out to the people. I mean, people have to work and all that stuff, but as the great philosopher Dean Ice said, please, it's all about me. You know, like, sometimes you have to just rip the band-aid off. Don't peel it inch by inch. Rip it off. Quit delaying the inevitable. Let's take our loss. Let's get our butts back home to Portland. Let's prepare for the Mavericks. Like, the Clippers aren't even a rival of ours. Like, this would be different if it was, like, the Warriors maybe trolling the Clippers. No, we have no beef with the Clippers. Yeah, they complain, but everybody says that about the Clippers. They are not our rivals. Why are we trying to start something? Like, let's be better than this. We are better than this. I feel like the Blazers were a- used the anger I had for Chris Paul a few days ago and did it to troll the Clippers. That's what it was. They they felt my pain as a fan of the Pelicans for what Chris Paul's did. So so for the Blazer fans out there that don't know what Chris Paul did, enlighten them, Sage. So Chris Paul on fast breaks, Chris Paul likes to look behind him, see if there's a big running behind him, and lunge into him. As a fan of the Hornets. 
I loved it. I thought it was an interesting strategy to get Biggs into foul trouble. But then I saw him do it to Yao Ming. I saw him get injured because of it. I honestly don't like seeing injuries happen, especially to Big. And Chris Paul did his lunge thing to Anthony Davis, who's running on the fast break. They, they were they were running parallel to each other. Yeah, they were running parallel to each other. He looked behind him, lunged back, and Anthony Davis... I mean, I thought it was an ACL. I thought he tore his ACL. Buddy, when I saw that, my heart went out to you. I could just imagine that you're probably just sitting there crying those panda tears that I would be doing too if it happened to my player. And I felt oh. so bad. I was so thankful that they said, you know, he's actually questionable to return. Um, and then he because... played against the Jazz and was an absolute stud. Exactly. But Chris Paul, he needs to knock that off. He he has a reputation for being a dirty player. Just ask Julius Hodge back when CP3 was at Wake Forest and he was at NC State. You know, he took one in the jewels, and that wasn't even... I mean, it was very intentional. And he's done similar things like that, and, you know, maybe it's karma's way of saying, hey, you're never getting past the second round of the playoffs because you keep pulling that that nonsense, buddy. But when that trade happened, first of all, I really wish that he wanted to go to the Bay Area because Steph Curry was on the table. But when he went to the Clippers, I was like, I don't really like the Blazers yet. This could be my second team. Because I love Chris Paul. And then I saw how he got and how like he turned into an example of a player you don't want to root for now. And it kind of broke my heart because I love Chris Paul. He's a great guy off the court, but a true jerk on it. So Yeah, I think there are players that walk a fine line between being a jerk and being just like an ultimate competitor. I think Garnett does that as well. You give Garnett a little bit more of a pass because he has won that championship with Boston. But things we've heard Garnett say are borderline very, 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 very questionable. And, you know, I don't know if your moms would really be happy with what she's hearing from you. Got to get that soap in your mouth like Ralphie from Christmas Story. There is that line, and it's really tough, especially when you're you're charged up and you're focused. But he just is dirty. Like, yeah. there's dirty and there's, and there's dirty. I think he's just dirty. I think we I need know. to change that play. I think if... You see the dude lunging at the defender. You well, it really needs to be an offensive foul. Yeah, you need to penalize him because I don't. It's, think just, it's, it's only Chris Paul doing it. I don't see. Don't see Jarrett Jack do the same move. You don't see Darren Williams. You don't see other point guards do it. It's just Chris Paul. And when players like I've seen Yao, Anthony Davis, I remember seeing Wesley Matthews get hurt because of this. You gotta stop it when you've injured or hurt or like even a potential of a player being hurt. You gotta stop it. Like I said, it needs to be an offensive foul. It just, it irks me the same way when shooters pump fake and then lunge into a defender. Yeah. That needs to be an offensive foul as well. You know, quit trying to draw the foul. We already have enough James Harden nonsense. We already have enough hack of whoever, insert poor free throw shooter's name, to slow the game down. This is the type of stuff that makes people not like baseball. How it's so long. You've got all these unwritten rules that nobody understands. And you know, I don't want basketball to go down that path where it just becomes unwatchable because it's my favorite sport. Adam Silver really needs to make sure this stuff really doesn't get taken um, too far because it's a great game. We've got the greatest athletes in the world playing it, and I want to keep enjoying it. Tonight, that that was not basketball, my friend. You know, enough from, from that game. Let's go back to Saturday night where the Trailblazers handed uh, the Lakers uh, another loss, 108-96. You know, at the Rose Garden, it was a beautiful night, especially because of what happened after it. The Blazers swarmed the Lakers. Kobe did nothing. And what does he do the following night? He announces his retirement, Sage. Well, you can't say he did nothing because he helped the Blazers immensely. He didn't do you nothing. Got, you're right, right. He helped us, actually, he helped us actually, a lot. Actually, Olga, Olga had the best quote of the night. She said, Kobe Bryant is uh, my 16th favorite trailblazer. Yeah, so I mean, we've talked about LaMarcus being a ball stopper. Kobe Bryant is the worst ball stopper I've ever seen. He disrupts all flow in the offense. And I feel so bad because I said some mean things about Julius Randle because I didn't think he was going to be that good. But that boy's pretty good. Clarkson's looking like a pretty decent combo guard. And I would love to see what Russell can actually do with the ball in his hands. So he's really being a pest to the the development of those young Laker players. I know we don't want the Laker players to develop, but it'd be interesting to see what they actually can do. No, and I think it's a great point to talk about because this guy's making $30 million a year. He is the most, he is the highest paid player in NBA right now, which is absolutely ridiculous. He completely 
hand-strapped that franchise by forcing them into that three-year, what was it, $90 million extension. I think I was surprised at when he announced his retirement. Obviously, I read the letter. It, it crashed the site because you're going to read the letter. I mean, nobody's not going to I read have it. not read the letter. I've not read okay, the letter. Well, kudos to you. You were one of uh, a few that hasn't. But it looked like a was letter. I wasn't going to read it. My timeline wasn't filled with a bunch of like Kobe memories or I think this guy has just alienated so many people. I mean, he has his fans that are just diehard Kobe fans, but he's a love or hate player because mm -hmm. I'm definitely on one side of the spectrum. I think a lot of it has to do with how selfish he is. He doesn't pass the basketball. He took that huge contract. You look at a guy like Tim Duncan and Manny Ginobili who could have made loads of money elsewhere these past couple off seasons, yet they keep taking team friendly deals because they're financially secure for life and it allows the Spurs, you know, room to sign Kawhi Leonard's extension to go after a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge. Now the Spurs are competitive. You know, if Kobe Bryant would have done that same thing, maybe the Lakers get a couple more free agents. And then there's the whole aspect that the Lakers can't sign free agents because supposedly people don't want to play with this guy. So his legacy as great as he is, he's the second greatest shooting guard to ever play the game. He's probably a top 12 player. I'm not denying his talents, but I think he could have been even greater had he not been so stinking selfish. I mean, yo, we could talk about them taking him not taking a team-friendly contract. But if I was in that position, I mean, I, I would be taking that $20 million and writing to the bank. So I can't, I can't he's believe him. Stage, but he's got more money than he will... He, than we could ever imagine. He he won't be able to spend all of that money. He's going to make up that in Nike money and endorsements. He's the got you know he's got too. things lined up way after basketball. I to me it's it's kind of you know baffling that he wouldn't be able to say no. I'll only take ten million this year, sir. But I mean I know those Kobe fanboys are looking forward to that Kobe Bryant album. I think he needs to do another track with Brian McKnight. I mean I'm definitely not going to miss him. He's my least favorite athlete of all time. But I will miss the games in Portland just because, you know, it brings out the Kobe fanboys. Those matchups get really fun. So I will miss the matchup. But right now, he, he needs to hang it up. I mean, I'm glad he's not playing another year. The perfect example was last night against the Pacers. Lakers down four. They get it to Kobe. He heaves a shot. I mean, there's no, you know, flick of the wrist. It just, it's a straight heave. It hits nothing but net. Smiling because he knows he just, he heaved it. And it was a prayer. It was answered. Pacers go down, hit two free throws, so the Lakers get side out, down three, same exact play. I mean, a complete wide right, air ball, not even close. I mean, if it was a kicker, he shanked that. And that that's Kobe right now, and it's kind of, it's not, it's sad for basketball because he's definitely one of the greatest players of all time, and he's out there looking like this. You wonder had he not had so many injuries if he would have hung it up a couple years sooner so he could have gone out with, you know, a little bit more, I don't know what the right word is. Prestige. Yes, prestige is a great word. Duncan is older, but he's still putting up, what, near a 20 per and pulling down double-digit rebounds. Um, still really contributing. Even Jordan put up, what, 20 points per game during his last season. But Bryant, I mean, he just completely fell off the cliff. A real possibility could be the fans now voting in Kobe Bryant to start the All-Star game. I would really, I mean, that takes any, that just, ugh discredits the all-star honor in so many levels. I understand people want to see this guy play in one all-star game, but it has to be based on merit. You mm. cannot go in there and, you know, you think Russell Westbrook's really going to, you know, say, Kobe here, you you take the 30 shots in this all-star game. Hell no. No. That's not happening. I mean, and you think about if he gets voted in by the fans, that's taking away an all-star spot, maybe from a guy like Draymond Green, Derek Favors, a CJ McCollum, you know, Maybe a first-time All-Star who really would cherish that. You know, Kobe's been there, done that. Like, you have to earn this. Um, that would really be a travesty to me if he got voted in by the fans. But unfortunately, now that he mentioned that it's, it's going to be his last year, I don't see any way where he's not voted in. Nerd talk. I'm about to drop some nerdy stuff. I got my glasses on, so let's go. I, I always do. But for those players that signed super max contracts, Anthony Davis... I believe a few more players. If they don't get a starting spot on the All-Star team, that's $25 million out of their pocket. So just think about that. Because if Kobe gets that All-Star nod, that's one less spot for one of those younger players trying to get that super max money. Well, that affects Anthony because yeah. Kobe is now listed as a forward, and now it's not center forward guard. So you got the guards already lined up. It's going to be Curry and probably Westbrook who will get the fan vote. 
then now you've got three forwards in there, three bigs. You know, AD won the fan vote last year. Pels are off to a little bit of a slump this year, so who knows? <laughs> little how, bit. Who, that's, who knows how that's going to go? But Durant's obviously going to get floated in by the fans. So you're looking at maybe one spot. You know, does he get it? Blake Griffin's also in Los Angeles. He's a very big, he's in a huge media market as well. His team's playing much better than Lakers. He puts on a better show than Kobe. So one of those guys mm-hmm. are going to get left out. And like you said, that hurt their, their wallet. But for super, think- super max, you have to be an all NBA player, a starter on the all star or the MVP, which is absolutely not going to happen. For those players that are trying to get that Supermax money, it has to be this year, and you have to get one of those three things, or you miss out on $25 million over your contract. Whew, that's a lot of cheese, my friend. So nerd talk is over. <laughs> so I think that's enough Kobe talk. Either you love him or you hate him. Either you're happy or you're sad to see him go. Um, regardless of how you feel, he definitely is one of the all-time best that we've seen. Um, like I said on the previous podcast, he had the ability to make you – you know, shaking your boots, whether you were up 15 or 20 points with four or five minutes to go because he could strike extremely quick. So I'm glad that he is going to be gone. No more worries about that. But the Trailblazers, again, it was with their backcourt, really handled the Lakers. I think the Lakers got within five that game, but I think I tweeted it. Game was never really in doubt. I never had any fear that that Laker team was going to win. You know, CJ and Dame were just phenomenal. They combined for 57 points. On 21 of 21 of 39 shooting, um, they hit nine of 18 threes. That's 50. percent I mean, they when they when they shoot like that, Portland can beat the majority of the NBA teams. When they go to over 50 on an efficient note, it just opens up the floor for everybody. And you know, I don't know what it is about the Lakers, but Dame just feasts on them. I know in the future it won't happen that where Damian and CJ or whomever is on the team has to score 50. But man, it is—it's tough having so many players on the Blazers that either are very hot or very cold. Like the variability of points that players three through fifteen put up—it's too much variance. Reading a Robert Parrish interview and his there's DJ Kevin McHale, Larry Bird. He said his role is to make two baskets a quarter and get to the free throw line five times a game. That is his job. I would love for the Blazers to have some Robert Parrish type of players on the team that aren't so, like, questionable. You know, a consistent guy, and I think we were seeing a lot of that from from Plumley lately. I think he's playing, you know, fantastic Very basketball. True. Very true. Same with same with a guy like Ed Davis, who did post his, his fourth, you know, double-double tonight. You know, Ed, 13 points, 10 boards, and he was really the only thing keeping it from being a 20-point blowout because he cleaned up a lot of our messes. I was thinking more of the wings. Yes, yes. And I think what hurts the Blazers is I think they do have that consistency down low. They don't have that back-to-the-basket score either mm-hmm. because yeah, they had Parrish, but they also had McHale, who was one of the most dominant players yep. in the post. He had post moves for days. You isolate him on the block, and it was lights out. Portland does not have that luxury so they do need McCollum and a Lillard to go off, and you need that consistency from a big. And then you probably also need a little bit of uh, production out of other wings, mm. like a Crab or a Harkless. And I think Portland just needs so many things to go in their favor to win on a, on a nightly basis that um, that's why they are you know seven and eleven on the season and below five hundred. Oh, true. I, I mean, when they compete, I want some players that are high floor, low ceiling type of guys, just to. You don't need a bunch of guys that will either go 8 for 10 or 2 for 10. You, you want more consistency out of players. You know, and I think that's going to come with time, especially yeah. with the young guys. Um, I see what you're saying, though. We don't really want a bunch of Jamal Crawfords where they can shoot you in a game mm-hmm. and they can shoot you out of games. Uh, but I think, as we're seeing with Alan Crabb, he's kind of like, he started out slow in the season, now he's progressively gotten better and better, and he's become more of a consistent shooter. He still has those inconsistent nights, but I think the the amount of those inconsistent shooting nights are going to decrease as he continues to get minutes. Same with Mo Harkless. Same with you know. Same even with like Myers Leonard, Noah Vonleh. I think they just need more shots, more times, more repetition. Speaking of Myers Leonard, Stash returned against the Lakers after that shoulder injury, and you know, frankly, I was really surprised to see him come back. Very thankful, very happy to see him return to Rip City because. Nobody was really giving a timetable on this injury. We didn't know the severity of it. So to see him only miss, what, seven games, that was a very big blessing. 
I wonder what his treatment schedule is for the this year because of this injury. I, I'm sure that he has to get treatment on it pretty regularly, but I'd love to know, like, I mean, we, we don't have any inside information yet, but I would love to know what he has to go through f- for treatment for that shoulder throughout this year. Yeah, and I think we're already seeing, you know, a little bit of, of limited action. Um, I don't know whether they're trying to limit Myers. He played 18 minutes tonight in Los Angeles against the Clippers, and he played just 22 minutes against the Lakers. So are they limiting his minutes by starting Noah Vonley, or are they starting Noah Vonley because he has more potential and they really want to see what they have with this kid? I think it's probably a little bit of both. And yeah. uh Eric, Eric Gunderson, uh, Blazer Banter on, on Twitter, uh, who writes for the Columbian, had a really good tweet. He said, you know, Terry Stotts won't come out and say it, but for the foreseeable future, it really appears that Noah Vonley is going to be starting. And, you know, I really think it is because they did give, give up a guy like Batum for him. They really want to see what this kid's got. Royal Jelly. you got to give the guys playing time, which is the Royal Jelly. I, I get it. I'm cool with it. You know, I'm cool with it too, but if you're going to start him, you've got to play him a little bit more. Like, he only played 13 minutes tonight, 20 minutes against the Lakers. He got in some really early foul trouble against the Chicago Bulls, which limited his time there as well. I understand the foul trouble limiting playing time, but, you know, Myers hasn't looked that great either. He looks very rusty. His shot looks a little off-balanced. Um, obviously, the shoulder, so it's throwing off, of, off his uh, timing and rhythm. But, you know, let's play him more than 15 minutes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. He's getting like Tabo Cephalosha on the Thunder starter. That's a like, great, great, great analogy, my friend. I'm bringing the heat this week, man. Bringing the heat this week. So I predicted a three and a week. We should probably, if you're listening, to- yeah, you need to uh, reverse that jinx. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying, Rip City. Whatever you're I can do. You're too damn optimistic. Go with whatever I'm not. Go, go against whatever I'm saying. I, um, I think I'm winning. Like if we kept track of who won the weeks, I think I'm winning. Who as well. I know I'm winning, excuse me. However, I really think we should have won that Chicago game. It was that damn Jimmy Butler prayer three at the end of the the second quarter, which really ended up being the deciding factor. Lillard uh, uncharacteristically missed a late free throw, which would have tied the game with under 24 seconds to go. You know, Chicago jumped out to a 10-0 lead, and it just felt like Portland could never, ever get over that home. I swear there's a handful of those games every year. And they're really the most frustrating to watch as a fan because you just know deep down that the shot you take is not going in. And it, you just know it's going to be that night where you just, you're not going to be able to climb that hill. And against a great defensive team like Chicago, you cannot spot them a 10-point lead. So if you were the GM of the Chicago Bulls, would you try and trade Derrick Rose? Because I think it's Jimmy Butler's team. And I'm a big I mean, fan of players knowing their roles. And I think Derrick Rose is too used to being the number one guy, so maybe try and trade him. I know that contract's insanely difficult to trade, but man, yeah, he's, I, he's, I, I would love to put him on a different I just team don't see who, who is taking that contract, though. Maybe I don't the see Nets, anybody. The Nets for Joe no, Johnson I think the Nets and, and Jack. I mean, I don't see any team doing that. Rose is still a cash cow. He's still one of the biggest faces of Adidas. He's still a homegrown boy. They still have hope for him. You know, he had 17 points. I mean, he did take 20 shots to get it, but... Yeah, you know, that's not, not efficient. I mean, No, it's not. It, it's not, but I just don't think you're going to get it. For what he brings to that team, off the court, on the court, all the intangibles of being from Chicago, I don't see them getting nearly the value that they would be looking for um, in a deal to move him. But Absolutely I also, not. I also don't think it's... I don't think that's a good thing if it's Jimmy Butler's team. I think he's an option too. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's the alpha dog number one guy. You just ride to the finals. I got to see the team that he that's around him before I say he's not. But I, I'm a. I mean, I, I get what you you're know, saying. I was until he pulled that nonsense with Mason Plumley. What, <laughs> what was all? What was all that about? A a big is gonna run you over on a screen all all the time. Like they get hacked down low more than any any fan will ever know. So Mace probably got a little fed up. You know, he ran through a screen. He got called for it. I thought the flagrant foul was completely unnecessary. It was not a good call. But then Jimmy Butler tries to leg whip him and then goes and, you know, almost headbutts him. Uh, and then he wants Mason to, to, to pay his fine. And he wasn't joking. So I lost, you know, a lot of cool points for Jimmy Butler. I thought he was a cooler dude than that. He needs to, you know, chill out. Like, there's no way Mace is going to pay your fine. You don't try to leg whip people. That's that's a dick move. And, you know, things happen in the NBA. You're going to get trucked once or twice for course of the season. Just take it. You know, go up to him, you know, start a, a mini scuffle. You know, keep your hands behind your back. No swinging the punches. But 
there's absolutely no place to try to take a player's legs out. Just like Chris Paul doing that Bush League move uh, against Anthony Davis, I thought well, Jimmy Butler tried to pull his Bush League, and I really thought he should have been the one that got the flag rate. That was another big turning point in the game because that was two points and the ball for mm. for the Bulls. And in the game when the Blazers just needed to get that lead, that was a huge huge play of the game. It just that was a, that was another tough game to watch. It's been a tough stretch of basketball outside of that Laker game. The Blazers had to go one on one basketball a whole lot this week against the Clippers and the Bulls. You know, Lillard shot four of twenty two against the Bulls. It just never felt like anybody had any sort of a rhythm. You know, CJ 7 of 17, Mace 5 of 13. I mean, God, Ed, again, Ed Davis was really the only one that had it going, 5 of 8. So that when Ed Davis is, you know, I guess he is going to be your most efficient shooter on a lot of nights, but by far the most efficient shooter, you need your you need your, your big three, your big four, to have better shooting nights to beat a team like Chicago. I thought that game was very winnable. The Bulls left the door open on a multitude of times. I felt it's so many momentum threes that just wouldn't drop. But that's that's the season. There's going to be games you should win that you don't. There's going to be games that you win that you had no business doing. You know, we've already seen it a handful of times this year. So as we said, Blazers 7-11 and 11 on the season. Are you really surprised at this point, Sage? Yeah, maybe higher, lower than you thought? I think it's... I think it's exactly where I think. Yeah, you know, you go through and you look at the games, and I think if we start back at, at, this, at the beginning of the season... I think the Detroit game, I, I thought we would win. Or looking back, we should have won. The Denver game, you've got to have. But to be honest, I was surprised we won in Minnesota and in Utah. You know, that seven-game losing streak doesn't surprise me a whole lot. We've had a couple close games, you know, especially that Houston game, the Memphis game. So we're taking Western Conference teams to the brink. Really, tonight was the first time we got it handed to us. Mm. I guess San Antonio ended up beating us by 13, but that game was closer. You know, the Clippers, they really pulled away. Um, so tonight was really the first in a whole month. So tonight marked to the end of November, the first time in 18 games I really felt like Portland just did not have a chance to win. For a team this young, lost all of that production from last year, can't ask for much more than that. And as the calendar flips over to December, the schedule really intensifies, and it starts right away tomorrow night against the Dallas Mavericks, who surprisingly are 10-8 and eight and are in six out west. They were hanging around the three and four seed early in November, but they've dropped a little bit. Still going to be one of the better teams the Trailblazers have faced, and I think it's going to be a game that a lot of fans are anxiously awaiting. I know I've got my tickets. I'm going to wear my West jersey. Uh, I can't wait to give the dude a standing ovation. I really hope the media doesn't try to make any sort of, are they going to boo? Are they going to cheer? Of course we're going to cheer Wesley Matthews. He was our Iron Man. He left his heart and soul on the court every single night. Uh, one of my favorite Blazers of all time. I understand why we didn't bring him back, but it's still great to see that he got paid and he's playing again. And, you know, I won't be happy if he makes any buckets against my team tonight, but I'll be cheering him on, you know, 78 more times, you know, throughout the regular season and cheering him during introductions. I think the Mavericks are the flukiest team I've ever seen. If you look at their stats, teams shoot 10% worse against the Mavericks than they do on average. They've played teams that, have, are dealing with injuries. The Pelicans twice. They might, they're gonna play against Damian Lillard while he has the stomach sickness from hell. They, they just get lucky. And of course, that stuff isn't gonna last. It's gonna normalize because it's a long season. But for right now, they are the flukiest team because they don't have the talent to be where they actually are. They're taking advantage of other teams' injuries, sicknesses, and I think a team like Dallas is really the, the type of team that gives me the most worry going into a game. It's those veteran teams who don't have a ton of star power, but they just execute, and they're crafty, and they just know how to win games just based on experience. They're not going to just blow you out like maybe a team like the Warriors or Cavs would with you know just straight star power. And they're not going to lull you to sleep like a Sixers or a Nets because, you know, there's no energy in the building. It's a team like Dallas who has players that can score. You know, Darren Williams and Dirk Nowitzki, they've been in this a long time. You know, Parsons is back. Um, Petrulia is a very solid big man. And, of course, there's Wesley Matthews, who you know has this game circled on his calendar and is going to want to have his best game of the season. Um, so this game really scares me. Wesley, I think he's going to have a breakout game. You know, he hasn't played particularly well coming off of the torn Achilles. He's only averaging 11 points 
only shooting 35% from the field and 32% from three. The 32% from three is the lowest he has shot in his entire career, and he's still taking six attempts a game. He's not really doing too much else. Uh, you're looking at two and a half boards, two assists. So they're paying a lot of money for last year's production. Hopefully Wesley gets back into the swing of things um, as he gets healthier, as his Achilles gets stronger. Um, a lot of it's mental too. When you step on the court, you're always wondering if that next cut is going to be your last. So I think as any player comes back from injury, it's going to take some time. But right now, I think the Blazers did the smart thing by not offering him, you know, a contract. Well, because obviously, you know, obviously the market set that bar at a max deal. I don't. I think the Blazers were very smart for you know saying, you know, thank you for your service, Wesley. Go get paid, but but go, but go take somebody else's money. You know, there's always that random player that will get hot. That's not normal. Who will that one player be for the Mavericks? I really hope you don't take mine. Put me on the spot right now. That isn't even that big of an ambush. Come on now. There's always. J.J. Barrera. That was not mine, so go for it. Well, there's more, because I think I think it's going to be Raymond Felton. Nope, not the one I was thinking. Thank because God. he hates Portland. Portland hates him. He's going to come in, and he might have a bigger chip on his shoulder than, than Wesley Matthews. Um, he definitely did not like his time in Rip City. I think he might be the most disliked trailblazer in recent history. But if you look, he's playing pretty darn well. Yeah, he's getting um, minutes, consistent minutes, too. Eight, eight points, seven assists tonight uh, against the Kings. They didn't get the W. So they, the Mavericks are coming off a back-to-back as well. They were in Sacramento. They probably started at seven. They're also a few hours north. Of they started the 30 minutes before we did. Exactly. So they'll get into Portland a little bit earlier. Thank you, Daily Fantasy, for letting me know that. But, I mean, he's capable of going. He had 23 points and six assists, or 23 and six rebounds against the Rockets, you know, a couple weeks ago. So this guy still has talent. Um, definitely glad he's not a trailblazer anymore, but he is my pick. He and I wouldn't call Wesley a scrub. I think Wesley's going to have a big night because he's he's motivated, he's fueled, he's comfortable in this gym. But if you're talking off-radar player who is going to have a big night, I think it's going to be Felton. I think it'll be Dwight Powell. That's a good choice as well. Yeah. What what about Powell uh, worries you? Uh, he has the same type of energy that Maurice Harkless has. He's relentless on the boards. You can push the Blazers around. You might get in one of their heads, one of the bigs' heads. So I think Dwight Powell is just 100% energy, and it might screw us up. He gets- and, you know, Dallas, they're definitely a streaky team. You know, they just had won six games in a row with wins over, you know, the Rockets, the Celtics, and the Jazz. However, their schedule toughened up. Now they've lost four of their last five. They're in a back-to-back in Portland, so I, they definitely have old legs. On a normal night, I would say the Trailblazers get this win, but we don't know the status of Damian Lillard. Oh, that, that affects the game. That is, I don't think we can win without a healthy Lillard. He just... He would be able to take Williams, Harris, Felton, Berea, any player they threw at Dame. He'd be able just to take them at ease, you know, 100% of the time, open up the game for every other one of his teammates. But it's sounding like that sickness might linger. So I think the Mavericks are probably going to get this one, unfortunately. What do you think, Sage? I actually agree. I mean, Dallas wins again on the flukiness. So we got Dallas. It's a three-game week. That game, for all of you out-of-state out of, out of state listeners, can be seen on, on NBA TV, 7 Pacific time. Then Thursday, the Blazers get a surprisingly good Indiana Pacers team who is second in the East right now. You know, they're 11-5, and five and Paul George, man, he's playing like pre-Paul George injury. I mean, this is a team that started off 0-3, so they're really 11-2 and two in their last 13, with the only losses coming at Cleveland by four, and at Chicago by one. They, they, haven't, they haven't lost a game since November 16th. They're on a five-game streak. The good news is we do get them on the second night of a back-to-back. They have to go at Staples Center to play the Clippers on Wednesday, so we will get them on the second night of a back-to-back. But I think that one's... I think that's going to be a tough one, too. Too much Paul George magic, I think. I mean, who do... I mean, Aminu is going to be able to play really good defense on him. You know, they still have Monte Ellis, who... Always plays well against the Blazers. I remember that game two years ago. Lillard had that game-tying three. I think it was maybe 1.4 seconds left. Monte Ellis juked Aldridge, got open for a wide-open mid-range jump shot, and like hit that. I think that ended our 13-game winning streak, if I'm not mistaken. He just always plays well against us. So, And then they've got George Hill. They just have all of these players who... Oh, CJ Miles, too. You know, they don't seem like they should work. 
they really have no inside presence, but neither do we. Like, we don't have a player who's going to go back to the basket and just dominate them inside. However, I do think if Portland wants to win this game, they do need to attack the, the Pacers inside. They have to run those pick and rolls. They have to slip the screens like they did against both times they played the Lakers. Ed Davis and Mason Plumley are going to have to have monster nights in the paint. They're going to have to offensive rebound their tails off because there are going to be a lot of missed shots, I think. And if we can win the rebounding battle, if we can win that hustle board, that second chance, we can win this game. But it's all going to be based upon how well our perimeter defense is at keeping their guys out of the paint as well. Who's the starting center? Jordan Hill. You sure? It's not Jan Mahimi? One of the two. Yeah. Yeah, so Jan Mahimi doesn't scare me. The only person that really scares me is Paul George. As a Blazer fan, Monte Ellis scares me. Oh, true. I think CJ Miles is sneaky good. They got a sneaky good team. I think it's because of the culture of Paul George is why they're so good. I honestly think they'll lose. The Pacers will or the Blazers will? Blazers will. Yeah, I mean, you hate predicting losses, but it's tough he's a tough cover. Flow. I mean, it's tough predicting game flow, but I, I, I think the Pacers will, will squeak this one out. I mean, we out. saw tonight in Los Angeles how one player completely changed the game, and it was DeAndre Jordan. Uh, Paul George has that, that way to do it as well. If he can get to the line, um, he's just been a beast this year. He's averaging 27 points per game. Just his explosiveness looks back. Eight rebounds, almost five assists. He's shooting 46% from three. That's something I don't think he had previously, which he's worked on. I mean, he people were talking, let's, let's put this in perspective. During the 2013-14 season, people were talking about him being the second best player in the NBA behind LeBron James. You're putting some shade on a former co-worker of yours. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, okay. I'm just saying, there were more people than him that were saying he's the second best player in the NBA. I didn't agree with it, but we're, you know, that was only, you know, 20 months ago. It's not that long. He has had a complete year to rehabilitate and recover. He's still a young buck, so he still has to be in that consideration. He's playing like that. Whenever a team can have, whenever a team has a player like that, it's so difficult to, one, scout and defend and execute. So you can go in and say, okay, here's, here's the plan of attack. We're going to double team every time he touches the ball, or we're going to send weak side help or we're never going to double. You can have all of those rules in place. However, when it comes down to execution, it's not always going to, to work how it does in practice because these players do things that you just can't scout for, you can't prep for. It's just natural talent. You know, I'm talking myself out of this, but screw it. I think the Trailblazers win this game. I don't know why. It's kind of one of those gut feelings. I think we lose in Dallas, but I think we, we rebound in Pacers. I think Ed Davis and Mace are going to come. They're going to come ready, and it's going to be a big game for them in the paint. I envision a lot of a lot of putback dunks. I'm going to get the crowd going. I think what's really going to help is the Clippers and the Pacers. Both teams are playing pretty well right now. I think that's going to be a, a really tightly contested battle. We're going to get them on the second night of the back-to-back. By that time, Damian should be feeling better. I think he can take any of their guards off the dribble. I don't know why, but I'm going Blazers for the victory on that one. So I'm at 1-1 one one so far. You, my friend, are 0-2. Kim's... Very happy with you right now, by the way. Superfan Kim always likes me, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, you know what? She likes me, too. And I talk she about does. other teams quite frequently on this podcast. So the last game of the week, very tricky, starts a four-game road trip in six nights in Minnesota at 5 o'clock Pacific. Portland already took one against the Wolves, 106-101, back on Monday, November 2nd. But if you remember in that game, Minnesota got out to a 17-point lead. They really came at the Blazers hard, uh, forced a lot of turnovers. Uh, with Ricky Rubio, it was also the Flip Saunders tribute night. Um, it was their opening night, and they came out really, really amped. I think they're going to remember that game. They're going to look back at that tape and see the things that went well. It's going to be up to Portland to really calm that pace down. There are times that the Trailblazers are going to need to push the tempo against certain teams, there are going to be times that they need to, to, you know, pull the reins and slow it down to take other teams away from their strength. I think that's what they're going to have to do against the Timberwolves. What do you see in this game, Sage? Here's what confuses me the most about the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns doesn't finish games. Who's finishing games for them? Or KG and Prince? Gorgie Dang is the center. Oof. Yeah. That get, confuses me because... Carl Anthony Towns is so much better. They they don't play Carl Anthony Towns in the clutch, which confuses me because he's obviously going to be part of your core, and I don't think you should be playing for the playoffs. So might as well get the young dudes some PT, especially in the fourth quarter when it's more important. Every possession's more important. So that confuses me. But I think Carl Anthony Towns will start off extremely hot. 
because I think he's just that good. And you know they are eight and nine, so they are in the similar similar wins and losses, ebbs and flow as as a trouble. Just they both teams are littered with with young talent. Obviously the the scale t- favor of the Timberwolves because of Wiggins and Towns and Levine. Uh, Portland has Lillard and McCollum, which are fantastic duo to build around. But if we're talking strictly young stars, Lillard is a little bit older than the the, the ones we mentioned for the Wolves. But they've really started to play some good basketball. They had won three straight before dropping a game to, to the Clippers. They're going to have plenty of time to rest up. They're in the midst of a five-game homestand. They, the only game they have this week is against Orlando on Tuesday, so they're going to have three games to rest up for the Trailblazers. You know, Minnesota is a place we've, we've typically played very well in, except for last year when we somehow lost two games to them. But it's going to be they're, they're going to be waiting for us. And I don't know if, I think this game is going to be key for the whole entire road trip. I, the first game of the road trip usually sets, sets the tone whole entire, you know, shebang. Can the Blazers come out and steal another victory in Minnesota or are they going to lose and will that affect their play moving on through, throughout the rest of the trip? So looking back at that last Trailblazers game in Minnesota, the Blazers won 106-101 back on November 2nd. You know, Kevin Martin was really the story for the Wolves. He kept him in that game. He had 24 points, uh, and only on 12 shots. So he was definitely efficient. He got to the line 11 times. He missed three times. I don't think we can count on him missing hardly any this time around. You know, he really took advantage of our inexperienced guards by, you know, doing that pump fake, getting our guards into foul trouble. So look for Kevin Martin to have another big night. I think if Portland is to escape with a victory, they are going to have to quiet the young stud, Andrew Wiggins, he was very ineffective. He did have 16 points, but it took him 17 shots, and I thought CJ actually played really great defense looking back at that game. If Portland can limit Wiggins, let Martin have his. I think Kevin Martin can have his, but you have to limit Wiggins because he is really that franchise moving forward. He is that elite wings for who, you know, he has the capability of going off for 40. You know, even at a sophomore, he has the, the, the sky's limit for this kid. And looking at his game log, over his last 10 games, the fewest amount of points he scored has been 15. That's really so, good. So eight of the last 10, he scored over 20, and he even has a 32-point game against the Sixers. Yes, it's the Sixers, but you know, he put up 21 against the Clippers, 26 against that same Pacers team we're talking about. So he is definitely, he's, you know, he's averaging 22 points, got 18 per, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot of other things right now, but he can score the basketball. So I think if you can limit one of those two scores under their average, that's really going to throw a wrench in their offense. Obviously, you have to keep Rubio off the break. Um, dare him to shoot the basketball. And again, if you can find a way to get the bigs into foul trouble, you know, Jang is a good shot blocker. Towns, while young, is still a presence. But f- force guys like Prince and Garnett to have to play heavy minutes. They've got a lot of mileage on those legs. I think if Portland can find a way to be the aggressors the Wolves, that they have the energy, they can win the game. What are your thoughts on this, Sage? Man, I really, I'm trying so hard not to be a Debbie Downer. The way I'm saying it, I really need to know. It's been, it would be a week until for Dame to get healthy for this game. I would assume Dame would be completely healthy okay. by the, the Pacers game. Okay. So we're making these predictions based on 50-50 against the, the Mavericks tomorrow night. Probably 100% against the... Pacers, and then even 115% against the Wolves. I don't imagine... I think it's just food poisoning from what he kind of commented on after the game. Yucky. You know how you have those feelings? I think that the, the, uh, the Wolves will win. I have no idea yeah. why, but I just think it's a, it's a home game. I know statistically that doesn't matter much anymore, but I think we'll have trouble stopping Andrew Wiggins, so I'm going to go T-Wolves. You know, I don't think it's going to be... I, Wiggins is playing well. Like I said, I think McCollum did a great job of using his size to get low on Wiggins and kind of make him uncomfortable when he got the ball in the post. Um, he, was, he was fighting for position really well. I think the same is going to happen. I don't think it's going to be Wiggins. I think it's going to be Kevin Martin. Over the course of his career, I'm just going to look this up really quick. How old is he? Kevin Martin is 32. Really? Going to be 33 February. I thought he was older. So if we look at... If we go to basketballreference.com, which is the, one of the greatest websites of all time. Ever. And we look at his splits, he just, you know, he's a 19-point-per-game score against the Blazers' career. Um, to be honest, that that number seems low. It feels like whenever we play him, the dude just goes off. I think he's going to go off again. I think it's going to be 
I think they are going to force us into those turnovers. They're going to look at the tape. They're going to see what worked in the first game early on, and they're not going to have that adrenaline of the flip tribute. They're going to pace themselves much more. I think this one could get a little bit out of hand, unfortunately. So, so what's your I, prediction? I think I think we're going to take a loss. Um, I think the turnovers are going to rear their ugly heads. I think we'll score enough early on, but they're going to be contested shots. Whereas I think the Wolves are going to get a lot more easy looks at the basket. They might even take be the aggressors and get to the free throw line. And I think the the biggest key is that they are going to have three days off while Portland embarks on you know, they're on road trip. So I felt like we got our one already earlier this year in Minnesota. Taking two seems seems like a tough task. But I do think we will surprise and beat the Pacers. I think we'll go one and two. I would be more inclined to go two and one if I knew Dame's health against the Mavericks. I think that has a – Dallas is reeling a little bit right now. I think we have a chance if Dame is 100%, but I guess I don't think he is. So that's the only reason I'm going one and two. But good news, Rip City. Usually, whatever I say, the reverse happens. I predicted three and zero last week. We went one and two. So hopefully, the opposite happens this week. Pick I one and two. I went zero and three. Two and one. I'm the Debbie Downer this week. You know, and there's there's going to be games like that, and again, there's going to be stretches like that. But this this team is really impossible to predict. We just do our best based upon what we've seen from the opponents, from our Trailblazers. But again, that's why the games are not played on paper. That's why they go out and lace them up. But before 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 we sign off, I want to talk about this a little bit. There's been the debate going on. What is the greater number? The number of Golden State wins versus the number of Philadelphia losses. At the end of the year, who has more? That's so tough. I kind of think the Golden State Warriors are going to do what the New England Patriots did in 2008. Have a really good regular season, then lose in the playoffs. Just for reference, the Sixers won 18 games. Or, excuse me, they lost 64 games last year. The Warriors won 67. So the Warriors bested them last year. I'm going Sixers losses. But I think I think that the Warriors will be the first seed and then lose in the playoffs. Too early to make playoff predictions, but right now I'm going to say the Warriors have more wins. I already stated a couple weeks ago on this podcast, I think they're going to break the 72-10 and 10 record, the 95-96 Chicago Bulls set. They are just on another level. They play such great team basketball, and it, you, you really run out of ways to describe how well they, they play other than they just have fantastic chemistry and they have the best player in the NBA. You know, there's just no defending him. You can do whatever you want, but shots that are, you know, you say that's a great shot you forced him into. There's no great shot you can force Steph Curry into. Every shot he takes, he feels like he has the capabilities of making. And more times than not, he he knocks it down. He's really, he's really unguardable. I am very interested to see when the Spurs or the Cavaliers match up against them. How often LeBron or Kawhi gets uh, put on him? Because I think that's really the only chance teams have is if you can get that freak defender, like we saw, you know, for the, the older folks when the Bulls played the Lakers in the '91 Finals. The Lakers took the first game in Chicago, but then Chicago started moving Pippen onto Johnson. And he had Johnson to me as the greatest point guard in the NBA history. Yes, he was at the tail end of his career, but Scottie Pippen was arguably the greatest defender of all time at the wing. He took Johnson completely out of that series. That's something that, you know, that's going to be discussed from here until June, until we see either of those matchups. And I hope we do. As a basketball fan, I hope we see those matchups. But. You know, the Sixers need to get wins. Um, Jaleel Okafor looks like he's about to go off the deep end. Uh, getting <laughs> caught yeah, fighting in Boston um, and then getting, you know, also pulled over by going 108 miles an hour. You know, I'd rather my dudes fight. Um, I really have no, no, there's no room for me when you, if you're going 108 miles per hour. Not only are you putting yourself in jeopardy, you're putting so many other people in their lives are on the line doing that. You know, if you want to go speed, go on a racetrack. You've got enough money. Rent a car. You know, go go around. You just there's no there's no room for that. Um, you know, this dude obviously won in high school. He was the top rated recruit, and he won the national championship his first year at Duke. He's not used to losing. No, I mean to an extent. I, I'm a fan of the tank when you I tr- when I trust the management. That is doing the tank. I don't trust the Sixers management. I have no idea who the GM is, but I don't trust them. 
And if I was a Philadelphia 76ers fan... I think it's fan, Sam Hinkie. If I was a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I would be so angry. There's, I mean, you've got to be. Yeah. They've been bad for, what, four or five years now. I think Iguodala uh, was on their team when they were good. Yeah. I mean, they, I beat, the Bulls. The- that, they beat the Bulls in 2012, and that was the year Rose... Um, hurt got hurt in the first first game of the first round, so that that was an eight one eight upset. But they decided to trade Nikola Vucevic and Andre Iguodala for Andrew Bynum. They got a year of Bynum, who never played. They drafted Michael Carter Williams, who won Rookie of the Year. They shipped him off. They continued to pile up future draft picks without really using them. Um, KJ McDaniel's was a really good second round pick last year. They they moved him off to Houston. They trade. Another first round pick to get Dario Saric. That they, that was a that was the Pelicans trade. No, no, no. But they, oh had, yeah, they, they had yeah, they picked Alfred Payton. Yeah, and then they traded him for for Dario Saric, who is not going hasn't played in the NBA yet. He might come over next year. He's pretty um, good from what I've watched on YouTube. Which again, it's YouTube. Yeah, but I thought, and then I you take. The and you roll the dice in 2014 to take Joel Embiid, who doesn't look like he's ever going to play in the NBA. So after like four or five years of just being the worst team in the NBA, you're, all you really have to showcase is Jaleel Okafor in future picks. Well, Nerlens. And Nerlens Noel. Who I think is better than Okafor. Yeah. So, but what they didn't do is they're not spending any free agency money to bring in any sort of veteran help. I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world if this team won 25 games. Obviously, they have never won the first pick in the lottery over the last you know, a few years, so being the worst team isn't really working out. Like, win a couple games, it's really not going to hurt you. And I think having veterans around the team is extremely smart. Look at Portland. They kept Chris Kamen on. They brought in a guy like Gerald Henderson. I look at the Sixers roster, and like, you asked me on the podcast, you know, can you name a starting backcourt? Hell no, I can't. I can't name it today. The bad thing about fantasy basketball and daily fantasy basketball is you have to watch crappy teams. I think I've watched five 76ers games this year. It's bad basketball, man. It really is. But Nerlens and Okafor get stats. And TJ McDonald does for some reason. Yeah, but when that's your big three, I mean, that's 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 doom and gloom. You know, oh, at, yeah. least we, at least we got, got Dame. We got um, a foundation for- piece. Of course we can add on to it. And make trades, but we have that foundation, and that's important for the team. You know, speaking of that foundation, that's actually a really good point, and something I, I've thought about. You know, I, I walk to work every day, so I obviously think about you know sports quite frequently on my walks. And I was thinking, you know, the Trailblazers are probably unlikely to get a top top pick unless we get lucky <laughs> in the lottery. It, it has happened. Yeah. I want to talk about how can we rebuild this thing quickly? It's not a quick rebuild, but. If you remember the Pacers team of a couple years ago when Roy Hibbert was playing at all defensive uh, player of the year level, they had that Paul George, um, they had Lance Stevenson, David they West. Really, they had David West, Louis Scola. They really built it slowly but piece by piece. They had that foundation in Paul George and Roy Hibbert, but they didn't tear it down to go after draft picks. They made smart, for the most part, smart trades. I thought that trade to get Scola, they gave up too much. They gave up uh, Miles Plumlee, Gerald Green, and the first. Um, didn't really work out, but they were able to add players. They got Stevenson, who was almost an all-star that year. That was his best year he's had. And a lot of people thought, because of the way they played, they played defense first, that they had a chance to beat the Cavs. They they took them to, or excuse me, the Heat at the time. You know, they took them to six games close to making the finals. And I think that's the way the Trailblazers are going to have to rebuild. They're just going to have to make smart trades, find gems. And I think they're going to have to be a little bit more attentive to defense. Defense is going to be something you can take with you on a nightly basis. You don't need your jump shot to win games. You need defense. Defense, you can play whether you're struggling from the field or not. It's you know based on effort. And I think once Portland gets more depth, they'll be able to expand more, more of their energy on the defensive end. Well, just look. What did almost every... You know, the Trailblazers are sitting at 7-11 and 11 for those hoping for the playoffs. Really only a game and a half out. We said before, we'll say it again, the West is completely drunk. I think it had a little bit too much of pre-Christmas eggnog with a lot of whiskey, maybe some spiced cider, but the West is going to be a topsy-turvy whirlwind, and I don't think it's going to sort itself out until way past the All-Star break. So whether you're rooting for the playoffs or you're rooting for a good lottery pick, Portland's right in the middle of either right now. So both of, both of those fans, types of fans, you know, have to be happy. Um, I'm just looking for good basketball, looking for good building blocks to go on, 
And you know, this week will definitely provide a, a lot of opportunity to do that for the Trailblazers. Um, as we mentioned, they have the Wesley Matthews return, which will be a great game tomorrow night at the Rose Garden at 7 p.m. Um, Out-of-state viewers, as we mentioned, catch that on NBA TV. Thursday at 7, it will not be a TNT game, but the Indiana, the hot Indiana Pacers, the, the second place in the Eastern Conference, Indiana Pacers, will make their one only trip to Portland. And then Saturday, Portland kicks off a five-game road trip in Minnesota at 5 o'clock to take on the T-Wolves for the second time this year. Andre Drummond. It's probably time to wrap it up. Once again, you can listen to this podcast, download, subscribe. We would appreciate it. You can find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud at HolyBackboardPDX. If you would like to send us an email, you can send it to HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And we also take fan questions. We love interacting with all of you guys on Twitter. We are at HolyBackboard. Sage, it has been a fun, fun podcast. You know, look forward to this every week. Let's go!